This is Real Estate Rookie episode 298. You guys, $100,000. $100,000. Oh, is this like a paper loss to 100K? No, this is like Tony wiring $100,000 from a business bank account into our lender's account to be able to cover this. It definitely hurts. (laughs) My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And today, we're switching it up on the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. Uh, Ashley is my therapist for today, and I'm, I'm laying down on the, the therapist's couch, and I'm opening up my heart and my soul and my vulnerabilities uh, around a, a recent deal that went uh, terribly, terribly wrong. And he says he's the one laying down on the couch, but it's actually me cozy with a comfy pillow, my blanket <laughs> and a chai tea for story time with Tony today. Uh, so we are going to all learn some important lessons today. Uh, first of all, why you should always get things in writing and what earnest money deposit can actually protect you from or provide some kind of security, I guess. And then uh, talking about pre-approval. So have you gone and gotten a pre-approval for a loan? Have you sold a property where somebody came and brought their pre-approval? What does a pre-approval actually guarantee? Uh, Tony shares his experience with that. And then also the timeline of owning real estate from acquisition to disposition of the property and how important that is in today's market. So you guys, I'm sure you've seen the headlines. You've seen everything in the news. You've seen on social media, everybody talking about what has happened in the market over the past year, the past six months, and what's going to happen in the future. We're talking about inflation, interest rates, all those things. Tony shares a story about how he was impacted by some of these variables that are out of his control. Tony, anything you want to share before you break down and are completely vulnerable (laughs) to our rookie audience today? I just want to, I want to tell the rookies, don't judge me for all the tears you're about to hear as we're going through this. I tried my best to keep my composure, but I was just overwhelmed by so much emotion. I I couldn't handle myself, Uh, but also cool. I I love that we actually learned a lot as you were riding those things off. I was like, man, I guess we did. We did learn all that kind of going through today's story. Um, but I guess just, I, I do want to give a shout out to, uh, someone that left us a five-star review on Apple podcast. And we've been getting some, some pretty funny reviews lately. This person's, uh, review is, is normal, but their username is hilarious with three exclamation marks, LOL capital capitalized with two exclamation marks. So, so they must've been talking about me, like they knew maybe. their username and to talk they, about they me. They made their username to <laughs> talk hilarious. about me. <laughs> But uh, Hilarious LOL says, these two are great. The show is great for beginners. The hosts and guests provide great insight and actionable advice that really helps get the ball rolling in your investing career. So Hilarious LOL, we appreciate you. And for all of our rookies that are listening, uh, please take a few minutes. Leave us an honest rating review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever it is you're listening. The more reviews we get, the more folks we can reach. And the more folks we can reach, the more folks we can impact and help, which is what we love doing here at the Ricky Podcast. Yeah, Tony, I got some boring banter to share with you real quick before yeah, our, our show sponsor comes on. So it was just it was just Mother's Day and my son made this whole like, you know, worksheet for me with things about mom or whatever. And one of the things was um my mom loves to cook 
And he put in my dad cooks, and, <laughs> but in three other places, he put my mom is funny. I love how funny my mom is. So that just made my day. I don't care if he doesn't have any recollection of me ever feeding him a meal and cooking for him. As long as he thinks that I am funny, time funny. Three, that, that made That's my day. I, I love that. And, and Sean and I, we actually did like some arts and crafts for, for Sarah as well for Mother's Day. I saw the scrapbook. Yeah. Yeah. It's so nice, so sweet. She's pregnant right now. We're trying to think like, what what's like a good gift for her as like a you know a soon to like a mom to be? And we like, okay, what if we like introduced uh, you know the baby girl to to mommy? So mm-hmm. me and Sean went to uh, Hobby Lobby. First time going to Hobby Lobby by myself, <laughs> by the way. And um, we we found the scrapbooking aisle, and um, I was we were at a loss. We we're like, where do we even start? Like, what do we do? So we had to ask like the Hobby Lobby employees, like. What do people usually buy when they're making a scrapbook? So anyway, the the nice people at Hobby Lobby helped helped get us set up, and Sarah loved it. And we basically wrote like we, we created this scrapbook where every page was us um, introducing uh, our daughter, our unborn daughter, to a different aspect of who Sarah is as a mom, and she seemed to really appreciate it. You know, I saw that post and I thought it was so sweet and it was so cute. Is you know she was sewing some of the pages, but I so badly wanted to comment, I, but I didn't want to ruin the moment. But I wanted to comment so this. This is why Tony has 200 unread messages because he's at home scrapbooking. <laughs> scrapbooking. That's what it is. <laughs> That's how yeah. you return a, a text. We see he has like 200 text messages that have been. Yeah, I'm too busy scrapbooking. That's my, my new passion. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed. 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP.
Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Today, we're going to have a very different episode. So get cozy, grab yourself a blanket, sit back in your comfortable chair. I've got my chai tea. And we are going to take the agony, the grueling pain of someone else's loss and turn it into our entertainment and life lessons learned today. So I'd like to welcome my special guest, Tony J. Robinson, to share how he lost $100,000 on a deal. Tony, welcome to my show. (laughs) <laughs> I think that was by far the best intro to a podcast that we've ever done. I wish I could just riff like that every time. <laughs> yeah. If if we don't get like an Emmy nomination for that that cold open ash, I don't I don't I quit. If we don't get it, then I then I quit. You know <laughs> what I did good. forget? I did forget my notepad and my pencil. So anytime you say random things, I could like look at you, nod, eyes wide <laughs> yeah. open, and write something down. <laughs> that was good. I felt like I was like on Oprah or something or like like a Dr. Phil. <laughs> episode um, i'm here for it but unfortunately what you said is true right what you said is true we're, we're here to talk about my my pain and agony today um so uh, i i'll just kind of give the the quick backstory that we'll go into but basically the the long story short is that uh we had a rehab project that uh we were going to end up losing a little over a hundred thousand dollars on you guys a hundred thousand dollars hundred thousand dollars and this is this isn't like a you know my producers asked me like oh this is like a paper loss to 100k like no this is like tony you know wiring a hundred thousand dollars from you know a business bank account into uh the into our lenders account to be able to cover this and um it it definitely hurts (laughs) but you know talking over with ashley and our and our team we figured it could be a a kind of a cool instructional thing for uh for all of our rookie listeners as well to know that it's not always rainbows and butterflies when you're investing and you know, sometimes you make the wrong decision and you got to lick your wounds and, you know, write some checks and, and make learn some lessons and hopefully move on from it. And it's not even only about wrong decisions. It's about other things that are out of your control, too. Um, and, and that's why we want to do this episode so that you guys can learn and educate yourself and, you know, what are some things that you should be watching for? So we'll go into Tony's story. He'll kind of set the table as to what exactly happened. And then we'll go back through and like, what are the things he would have done differently? What should you be watching out for? Like, there's no reason to create the same mistakes that other investors have made. Um, so Tony and I both try to share as much as 
you know, our wins, also our losses as to like lessons learned. Like you'll probably hear me rant a lot about property management over the next couple months as I'm, you know, transitioning away from my property management company and like the things that I learned that actually hurt me in the long run with my investment portfolio. But today let's start off with Tony's story. Sit back, get your cozy blanket on and relax. And if you are listening to this on a podcast, you might want to pop it open on YouTube to see a tear slowly (laughs) stroll down Tony's face. (laughs) The the single tear. (laughs) So let me, let me, let me kind of give some, some backstory first, just into how our, our business structure kind of works. So a big part of how we scaled our short-term rental portfolio was we found uh, properties, both kind of turnkey somewhat, uh, but a lot of them were were properties that needed to be rehabbed. And what we would do is we have one entity, one business that we use to purchase and renovate uh, homes. And then that entity would basically sell that property to a partner who then our long-term holding entity would partner with. So basically, you know, I have LLC number one, LLC number one sells that prop or they find that property. We raise private money to rehab that property. Then once the rehab is complete, it's a fully furnished, ready to go turnkey short-term rental, everything down to the forks, the knives, the sheets, like everything you need to run that property is inside of it uh, by the time you finish the rehab. LLC number one then sells that property to Ashley. Ashley enters into an agreement with my LLC number two to say, hey, we're going to buy this this entity jointly together. And then Tony's entity will be the one that's in charge of managing it long term. So it's a really sweet deal for our partner because they get a turnkey property. They, they don't have to worry about managing it. Um, and it's a sweet deal for us because we're able to sell that property as a flip. So we get some cash up front, but then we also get the benefit of managing it long term. Tony, how many of those deals have you done so far? Like, I just want to kind of set the table for experience. Was this the first one you ever did like this? Have you done several? In total, I want to say we've done, I think, seven or eight of those. So quite a few. Yeah. Yeah, we've done quite a few. Um, and most of them worked out pretty well for us. Um, we had one that we like barely broke even on. It was like four grand that we made instead of like what we were initially projected. Um, and that one was kind of same right around the same time as this one. So that's our business model. We know how to do it. We've done it successfully multiple times. And, you know, we've made multiple six figures with that process, um, as we've done it successfully, but there were a few things that went wrong with this one that I'll, I'll kind of detail. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys the timeline and Ash, feel free to jump in as I'm going through this with, with any questions that you have. Okay. Um, we, we closed on this property at the tail end of February, 2022. So a little over a year ago is when we closed in this property, uh, on the front end. So our, our rehabbing entity bought this, um, in February, 2022, uh, the rehab itself went pretty smoothly. Um, we, we finished it in, I don't know, maybe four or five months, which is like our typical timeline for like a turnkey short-term rental. So say we started it, you know, in, in February, we were probably done with this property by like, I don't know, June or July of 2022. Um, once we finished the property, we started shopping it around to some of our potential partners, right? Which is again, what we normally do. And we, we had some interest, but people weren't super stoked about it for whatever reason. Um, and while we were shopping it around, we turned it into a short-term rental itself just so we could generate revenue while we were waiting on the, on the partner to potentially flip it to. And when we took that listing live, we, it kind of got off to a rough start for one reason or another. So we took the listing down as a short-term rental. We invested another $12,000 into the property just to like really take it over the top. And we relisted as a short-term rental. As we're doing that, we're still shopping ground. We ended up finding a potential partner to, to buy it from us. 
Um, she was someone that we we kind of had a relationship with before. She had um, she had uh, kind of looked at working with us on a previous deal, so we we kind of had a relationship with her. But she was in the process, I think, of like selling her primary residence, or there was something going on in her personal life where she said, "Look, guys, I'm I'm super interested, but I need about you know three to four months to uh, to be able to be in a position to actually buy it from you guys." And we're like, you know, it's it's fine. We're already renting it as short term rentals. So we're ge- we're generating revenue there. Um, we can wait, you know, ninety to one hundred and twenty days. But as we get closer to that that time frame, uh, she starts to go like, you know, the the responsiveness starts to decrease, and the 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 amount of communication we're getting starts to slow down as well. Did you have her put a deposit down? Were you still like keeping this property open to other people to invest in it? What what kind of happened during that time frame yeah. that she's like asking to hold it? That's a great question, Ashley. And, and probably one of our first mistakes was that there was no EMD. We, we didn't even have her sign the purchase agreement. It was just kind of like a handshake deal where she said, hey, guys, yeah, I'm super interested and, and I'm here. But again, just to, just to give some context, uh, this person had participated in uh, our Big Bear deal. Uh, that we we tried to take down as well. So she had actually wired, you know, a six figure check in for Big Bear. So we knew that this person um, uh, was was legit, right? It wasn't just yeah. some person that we didn't know. So we we knew that she was legit. Um, but yeah, probably having them sign the purchase agreement up front would have made more sense. Just so you know, there was a little bit more accountability on both sides. But we didn't do that. Um, and for one reason or another, after those you know three four months had expired, uh, that person came back and said that they they weren't in a position to move forward anymore, didn't have the desire to move forward anymore. So now we're, you know, we're in like the back half of, of, uh, of the year at this point, it's like, I don't know, fall of 2022. So now we have to shuffle to try and find another partner to sell this property to. Luckily, there's still a ton of interest. The property had been performing really well as a short-term rental up until that point. Um, so we had revenue that we could show. We could show how, how well it was performing, especially after we invested that additional 12K to really take the property over the top. So we ended up finding a partner uh, pretty quickly at that point, right? Um, we get the property appraised, and it ends up appraising for 580, I think nine thousand dollars, which is cool because we had it under contract at 585. So you know, it appraised for more than what we had under contract for. Um, and our numbers going into this, uh, we had initially bought the property for 355. That's what we bought it for. We put about another, I'd say, after we invested that last 12k, maybe like 125 into it. So let me just do that. Let me do that math really quickly. So we're all in it for like 480. Right, and and that includes like our holding costs, utilities, and all that stuff. We're we're all in it for four eighty, but we still have this um, these interest payments from our private money lenders that are uh, racking up every single month, right? So every month we're accruing about four thousand bucks in interest, right? So uh, up until that point, when we got that second appraisal, which came back in December we had already accrued about $40,000 in interest. So we had our, our four, you know, whatever. So we were about 489 totals what we, what we had at that point. Now, the second partner that we had lined up, they were happy, ready to move forward. They end up not being able to get approved for the mortgage. So now this is the second person that steps in to try and buy this property. And uh, like, they, they're just not able to do it. So at this point, it's like, I don't know. I think that was like January, like mid-January when we got the news. That person wasn't going to be able to get approved. And now we're, we're kind of resetting and starting this whole process over again. And Tony, is there really a way to like when you're flipping a house or even just selling a house in general? I mean, 
a, a pre-approval letter, maybe asking for something like that? What would you have done yeah. different in that situation, I guess? And how long did they hold up the deal then when they couldn't get the financing? You know, that that one, that one, honestly, I don't know if I would have done anything differently because whenever mm-hmm. we flip our homes, we have a lender that we always use. Like that's part of the requirements of buying one of our properties is that you have to use our lender if you're doing it as part of our partnership. So this is something that we've done a ton of business with. Um, this person that, that was our buyer was pre-approved, but as uh, the underwriters did a little bit more due diligence, they there were some things that came up that just the underwriters didn't feel comfortable with. Right. And there was weeks and weeks of back and forth of trying to get the underwriter to give us a thumbs up, but we just, we couldn't get there. And then the, the buyer ended up having to, having to back out. So, um, sometimes you, you don't know until you get to that point that a person won't get approved. That is so important to talk about is just because somebody has that pre-approval doesn't mean they're actually going to get the loan on the property mm-hmm. too. And just generally speaking, everyone should be careful. Like, like don't take pre-approvals at face value. I can go like there are private money lenders who have websites right now where I can go in and within two minutes of me just plugging in some basic information, I can have a pre-approval letter from, from a hard money lender. So just yeah, definitely take those with a grain of salt. The same too goes with, um, like cash offers, like, oh, if you need proof of funds, like, mm-hmm. hey, we'll give you proof of funds. <laughs> like you right. see a lot of hard money lenders doing that too. Yeah. So there's a little bit of both of that. So, so the, the second buyer ends up pushing us back, I'd say like another, I don't know, two months or so we went back and forth with that buyer. So now we're in early 2023 and for, for folks that have been paying attention between, you know, mid 2022 to early 2023 we saw interest rates go up dramatically during that time frame right um and when we went to go shop this property for a third time the interest had diminished pretty significantly because a there were some um policy changes in the city of Joshua Tree that that took place that kind of spooked some buyers people didn't really understand what these new policy changes meant and they thought that you know that there was like a, a ban on short term rentals so we had to do a lot of educating of folks to say that that that's not what's happening here um and uh the interest rate increase made it more difficult for us to structure this as a partnership where we were we're still able to give healthy returns to our investors because when we first had this property under contract, we were looking at like a 5% interest rate. Maybe now we're looking at like a seven. Um, and that difference between a five and seven can really squeeze um, returns, especially when there's multiple parties involved. And during that time too, were there some changes on vacation home loans too? Yes. Going from like 10% to 15%? Because I, I feel like that would greatly impact it too. That, just that also that, hurt. You know, you're buying $500,000 houses, that 5% does make a, yeah. a difference in the capital someone has to bring. So the, the 10% second down home loans are still an option, but uh, they they now come with more points attached to them. So even though technically it's still a 10% down payment, if there's two or three or four points being added to that, it almost feels like a 15% down payment at that point. So there are all these things that were happening, interest rates going up, loan products becoming less desirable, um, uncertainty around the policy landscape uh, in that market. So it took us even longer to find that next partner for all of those reasons. And all things that were not in your control. Yeah. I think it's very important to point out. Yeah. Yeah. Those those were things that we just kind of had to had to roll with the punches on. Um, now, luckily, we did end up finding uh, another buyer, right? And we're hopefully going to be closing here shortly with that person. And, you know, they've underwriting's been done. But now the, the final hangup is the appraisal. 
So remember, we had this property appraised in the fall of last year, in the fall of 2022, and it appraised for $589,000. That was about six months ago. Now we just got an appraisal back uh, and appraised for $440,000 is what it appraised for. And if we were to close this month, we'd owe our private money lenders uh, $510,000. So just between what we owe our private money lenders and uh, the other, uh, you know, that that's a that's a pretty big difference right now. But when you tack on our our closing fees and and you know all the other things kind of come to closing, it's going to be close to about a hundred thousand dollar check that we're going to have to write um, to pay this whole thing off. So um, it's, it's, it's definitely been, I think, a, a, a frustrating experience for us and, and seeing that, um, you know, our, I think our lack of urgency early on has really come back to bite us in the butt. We just saw, we, we, we saw this situation where, uh, the markets that we were investing in have been doing so well, we didn't anticipate how quickly things would shift, but to lose, we're talking, 589 to 140,000. That's a that's 140 almost 150,000 dollars in equity that we lost over the span of just a few months and I don't think any of us saw that shift coming in that market um and now we just kind of have to deal with those consequences. Yeah, I saw something similar kind of happen. I had done my first flip in Seattle about the same time period. Bought it last February and then um we went to sell it in like it was about May, I think April, May. And it sat on the market for a long time. And like, mm-hmm. it, we ended up breaking even on it. Yeah. And it was like, it, at one point it was like, when during the rehab process, we're like, Oh my gosh, the comps, like we could, I could make a hundred percent return on my money. I invested into this, like, Oh yeah. my gosh. And then boom, you know, it, it drastically changed. So Tony, looking or actually the first question I want to ask is, did you end up still partnering on this deal? So do you have equity in this deal as a short term rental and what will be your return on that? So have you actually figured out like, you know, your cash on cash return of and basically say you invested a hundred thousand of capital into this deal? It's um, going to be pretty, pretty nominal, right? Because we, we had to give up a pretty healthy chunk of equity to still make it palatable for that partner. Um, right. Typically on our deals, we're going to, we're going to own like 50%, right? That's where most of our partnerships, when we do this, we still retain 50% ownership, but because the appraisal came back so low and where interest rates are in order for the deal still to make sense for that partner, we still have to we we have to give a pretty healthy chunk of equity, so the returns it's going to be terrible, right? We're 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 yeah. almost going to be like managing this thing for for pennies on the dollar. Um, so our partner's getting a, a solid deal because he's got a really experienced management team that's going to take care of everything, um, and and make it profitable for him. But for us, um, it's just one of those things where we we got to kind of look our wounds and and deal with it. But I, I think we we still have some optimism because we know that that uh, real estate valuations are cyclical. And, you know, we saw Joshua Tree as a market. Uh, it was super affordable for a really long time. And then between like early 2021 through mid 2022, you saw prices just kind of go on this astronomical tear. And now they've kind of come back down to a more reasonable rate, not quite where they were before. Um, like, you know, 2021, like I wouldn't say it's as low as it was in, in 2020, but definitely not as high as it was in peak 2022. Um, so we're seeing it start to stabilize. And our, our hope is that 
um, as that market stabilizes over time, we'll recoup some of that value. And when it makes sense, whether it's five years, 10 years from now, you know, that, that portfolio that we have out there are properties where um, maybe we would have liked to have sold them, but we had to hold on to them. Um, we can kind of revisit at that point of, of getting them sold. So what are the things that looking back, maybe you would have done different? And then maybe we can kind of go into, here's the things you should be watching out for that, you know, maybe you can't control, but what are the, first of all, the things you would have done different? So there, there's, 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 there's a few things, honestly. I I think the first thing is one of the, the things that I'm, I'm most concerned with now as we continue to flip in this market is our, our, like, I don't know what you want to call it, like our, basically like our stop clock from, from close to close, how much time are we spending? And when that window gets too wide, you open yourself up to more fluctuations in the market. Had we, had we closed in this property, like the, the resale, uh, you know, 60 to 90 days after we finished the rehab, we wouldn't have been as exposed um, to the, the fluctuations in that market, right? Like if, if we closed in it in February and we were, we were selling it in July, like even in that time frame, it's five months, but the market's going to shift, but is it going to shift as heavily as it did on us, uh, this go around? So I think trying to really decrease that time frame, like for example, we just finished another turnkey flip in JT and we bought that property nine weeks ago. And we already have it under contract to sell right now. We just got it into escrow yesterday. So that's that's us learning from that mistake of, hey, we want to make sure that that we're protecting ourselves. And even in that one, right? Like I, I underwrote that at what I felt was a, a conservative number and prices even dipped a bit since then. So I think being able to, to go quickly from your initial opening escrow where you purchase the property to your closing escrow where you disposition that property, keeping that as tight as you possibly can. That's one of the big things I'd say we learned. To close that gap, are you taking on properties that don't need as much rehab? So we're, we're just not taking on as many, okay. right? So one of the challenges that we had in that market was that we really only had one crew that we trusted to take on our rehab projects. We had tried out a few different crews, but every time we did that, it happened to us twice, where we basically had to stop these other crews in the middle of the in the middle of their jobs and say, "Hey, you're fired," and then bring back in our our main crew to finish it off. Right. So what we realized is that it, it's probably in our best interest to work at the capacity of our crew and however many jobs they can effectively take on at one time without necessarily slowing down is, is what we really want to focus on. So like this flip that we just had, it was, that was our only project. We just had that one project going and we allowed that allowed our team to just like burn through that job super quick. Um, whereas before we might've had four or five rehabs going on at one time, but they kind of had to spread their resources out across. So really just, just getting back to the basics of, Hey, we're going to do one project at a time. We're going to knock it out. Then we're rolling to the next one. So what's next for you guys? You've taken this loss, very painful loss. Uh, Tony's been Mm. sobbing uncontrollably this whole episode, if you guys haven't noticed, but (laughs) what's kind of the future? You, you said you just recently did another flip, but I, Mm -hmm. what are some other things that you're going to be maybe pivoting or changing with your business model, if any? Before I answer that, I just want to talk really quickly, Ashley, about um, the the private bunny, because that was like another, not, not a mistake, but just like, it's, it's like it was a rough part of this. I think that was the hardest part for me was our private money lenders because most okay. of these folks, this was their actually all the folks in this deal, this was their second time lending to us. And that first flip in and out, we knocked it out. They got the return. They were so happy to say, hey, let's roll into the next one. And usually we're able to give them their money back in six months. And now we're going on month 
14, I think, with this deal. So how did you structure it with them? And did you have to go and ask for an extension? So our, our original promissory note uh, stated that it was a 12-month term, but that we had the option to extend beyond that. But if we did extend, that they got a, an increase in their interest rate. So it went from whatever it was, I think they got like an additional point on their interest rate if we had to extend beyond 12 months. Yeah. Um, but honestly, when I was talking to folks in the up, you know, at the beginning, I said, like, we, we haven't had any deal get close to, to 12 months. So right. I don't even think we need to worry about that. But we put it in there. Luckily, my my real estate attorney was the one that said, you should probably just have it in there just in case. Um, and, and it really came back to save us. But I still had to, you know, we had to communicate to those folks and say, hey, look, mm-hmm. things aren't going as planned. Um, kind of here's where we stand. Here's what we're looking to to do. And, you know, you know, obviously not all of them were happy because sometimes they have other plans for these these funds. And then it's not something that's super liquid, you know. It's not like a, a stock they can just go out and swap out with with someone else. Um, but I think having those tough conversations sooner rather than later is is um, is a route I would encourage people to go. And I think as investors too, if you are listening and you're planning on being a private money lender, that it is very important to know that this can happen and your money can be tied up. And Tony has stayed within the realm of his contract, but there may be times where an investor says, you know what, my loan is like due now, but I cannot pay it. I'm and then have to go and ask for an extension that wasn't even in the contract either. And it's like, right. okay, as the private money lender, do I go and start the foreclosure process on this or do I wait three more months now for it to sell? So Definitely, I, I'm glad that you you brought this up. It's talking about the private money lenders, and most most private money lenders don't want to deal with the hassle of going through a foreclosure. Like they didn't get into this business to be active. Like if they're private money lending, it's typically because they want a passive return. So I think most are, are probably going to be understanding. But I think how you how you communicate that situation makes all the difference. Because my hope is that even though this deal, the timeline took longer than we anticipated, that we've still handled it well enough to keep that relationship open for for future opportunities but it, it definitely does require i think having some some tough conversations and it reminds me of our guest uh jp desmond and you know he lost a quarter of a million bucks uh across a few flips and um he talked about how he had to go back and, and have some tough conversations with his private money lenders around hey how how can we kind of make this still a, a win-win situation like how can i get you paid back without crushing myself financially and trying to pay all you guys back you know this money at one time. I wanted to share a, a story of my own as far as the appraisal and um, the impact of appraisals have had lately. So uh, there was a property I was rehabbing. I had a hard money loan on it and I needed to do an extension on the hard money. And it was written in that that was fine. The only thing I needed to do to extend the hard money loan was to have a broker appraisal done where they don't actually send a licensed appraiser. It is a broker that is somehow trained and certified to do appraisal. So like a real estate broker. And I don't think banks really use them like since they're not an actual appraiser that does them. And this is the first time I ever had that done. And this was back in December of 2022, and the property came back at 327000 Between December and March, we put in two, there was two uh, houses on the property. And in the one house, we put in a brand new kitchen, a bathroom. There wasn't even a bathroom in it before, before and then flooring, and then some other finishes into the property. The actual appraisal, appraisal in March came back at 
$320,000. So $7,000 less. And we added a kitchen, a bathroom (laughs) and flooring throughout the house. So, um, it was a, a huge shock to us. So we talked to a couple people that had disputed appraisals before, and we actually went and disputed it. And we showed like we had that broker appraisal and they ended up matching it. So they did match it and say that it would now appraise for 327000 And they lend to us on that. I think we had wanted it to appraise at three eighty. Um the 327 and appraised that our hard money on it was only 171,000. So that was more than enough to, to pay that back. So it was still fine, but, um, it was just like crazy. The difference in value from December to March, um, as to how, how that could change. And it just like, as soon as you had said your experience, it's almost like a very similar timeline and the same thing to happen. Yeah. So I think the big lesson there is to never let Ashley renovate your kitchen because you end up with <laughs> negative equity as opposed to positive. No, I'm kidding. You know, uh, that was... I think this is the best jab you've ever done at me. <laughs> the I only can't... jab you've ever given me. <laughs> yeah, I can't even take credit for that because Eric, our producer, put it in, put it in the chat. So I'm just reading what he wrote. <laughs> but I, and you know what? The kitchen didn't have backslash. And actually, I'm sitting in that unit right now while we're recording and it still does not have the backslash. So maybe that's that's the big mistake there is you need backslash. Yeah. So. But I, I just want to talk a little bit about it, the the appraisals as well because um, uh, the the appraisal process is a very very subjective process. Uh, appraisals are an opinion of value by the appraiser that's going out there, and two appraisers could walk the same exact property and come back with different opinions of value. And, you know, we had a property that we were trying to purchase last year and we ended up having to challenge the appraisal uh, two times. We had three total appraisals done and each appraiser came back with a different value of what they thought that appraisal or what that property was was worth. So I think to Ashley's point, being able to challenge an appraisal is a really good thing. But just to give some insight, and, and this is something that my lender shared with me when we got back that four or 40K appraisal on a property that it recently appraised for 589, what he said was that, during the 2008 financial crisis, um, a, a lot of that was driven by these outrageous appraisals that were being done. And appraisers were in cahoots with lenders to just you know, come up with these property values that would allow people who shouldn't be getting qualified for mortgages to get approved for it because there was so much equity in the deals. And uh, a, a lot of appraisers were held accountable for their recklessness, quote unquote, in how they appraised properties. So what you're seeing now is that as markets start to kind of pull back and uh, sales slow down and things of that nature start to happen, appraisers are starting to become more conservative because they don't want any blowback on them if there's an inflated value on specific properties. So the fact that the uh, velocity of sales has slowed down so much in this market, I think hurt us. But then also there's this combination of appraisers thinking back to 2008 understand that there's risk involved to them personally, professionally, if they overstate the value of some of these properties, that they're being even more conservative than what they probably need to be. So it's there, there's just a lot of things that, that come on. And, um, and I think that they can kind of impact what, what we've got here. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. 
That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the bigger pocket bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. So you, you asked actually kind of like what's next for us. Um, so I, I mentioned one piece, right? We, we are still going to continue to flip. Um, I think that there's still a need for it. 
Uh, I, I still think that it's specifically for the kind of product that we have, where it's a it's a turnkey short term rental where people can kind of take it and day one they're they're ninety nine percent ready to go. Uh, I still think there's a need for that, but now it's just okay. How do we make sure that we're protecting ourselves? So one of the things I said is like the time that we're we're taking to do a project. We want to make sure that we're, we're keeping that that timeline super short from closing to closing. Um, the second thing that we're doing is we're we're just being a little bit more patient with the volume of deals that we're doing. Um, so there there's properties that are listed right now that our agents, wholesalers, whoever has sent to us that we think would make good flips. But I told the team like, look, we're not going to buy anything else until we disposition this flip that we currently have. So we really have proof of concept on what we think we can get because if we end up getting a Another property under contract, and we're tying up more private money, and then turns out that the property values go from four forty to three seventy five or, or three fifty. Now we're now we're back in the same position all over again. So I'm trying to uh, you know talk internally to make sure that we're we're approaching these things with the ultimate amount of of, of conservative or conservatism conservativeness. I don't know what the correct word is, um, but that we're being conservative, right? And that we don't move forward until we've got our own kind of numbers in house to prove what we think that these values should be worth. And if you end up doing multiple and then that does happen where it decreases anymore, that's a couple checks you have to write out instead of one, instead yeah. of one. Right. Um, but overall, I, I still think the business model makes sense. And, um, mm-hmm. I, I think what, what we're also trying to do now though, is, is expand to different markets. Um, I think not necessarily a mistake that we made, but we, we definitely have gone really narrow and deep into, into one market. And now we're, we're thinking, okay, does it make sense to kind of spread that risk out across different markets? And can we potentially rebuild the team that we've built in this market and take it elsewhere? Can we take it somewhere else? Um, because honestly, like as a short-term rental, that market is still doing really well. It's just a resale values where we're seeing this market get hit. Um, so from like a revenue perspective, most of our, like all of our properties are still net positive. Um, but it's like, how can we, how can we kind of balance out that equity loss potentially by, by going into, into other markets as well? Well, Tony, thank you so much for being raw and honest and sharing this struggle because you see all of these, uh, people on Instagram that only share the wins and never share share, you know, the bad that actually happens. And Mm -hmm. there are so many challenges in real estate investing that it is so important to learn from other investors that are willing to share those experiences. And one thing that I have found too, is that it can actually be somewhat inspiring and motivating to hear about something that really sucked for someone else as to here's Tony, he lost a hundred thousand dollars, but he's still going. He's still a real estate investor. He didn't quit. He's making it work. He, you know, obviously had reserves and capital in place to be able to write that check to, to pay that. And so I, these learning experiences are, are amazing, but also the kind of the mindset too, as to why have you not, you know, got your first deal or why have you not got your, your next deal? Is it because you are scared of that exact situation happening well, maybe not take on such a big deal at first, you know, start smaller on a smaller scale so that if you do lose, it's maybe not such a big loss. Um, so maybe you need to look at different markets to be able to find something that's on a smaller scale or whatever that may be. But as you listen to more and more of these horror stories from investors, <laughs> there are very few that give up. And one thing too, Tony, is you kind of have different 
Um, they're all, they're real estate, but different kind of income streams from your real estate. So you have the flip business. Um, are you wholesaling some houses too? Yeah, we did for a little while. Yeah. yeah. But like, okay. And then you are managing short-term rentals. You are also designing short-term rentals. We have our cleaning company. You're cleaning and then, you know, you're also partnering with people to own the short-term rentals too. So I think having these different multiple streams, but the building that foundation first and Tony's foundation was buying short-term rentals and building that and then kind of branching off and going, Tony didn't start out with, I'm going to flip, I'm going to buy short-term rentals. I'm going to start a cleaning company. I'm going to start a management company (laughs) all from day one. He started out with the one thing, short-term rentals, that strong, solid foundation. And Tony, I'd like to ask you as our closing question here today on my therapeutic show (laughs) as to, (laughs) do you think that if you would have started all these income streams at once, would you have been able to be as successful as you are today? And would that loss have hurt you a lot more? And do you think that building that strong foundation had a great impact in you being able to, you know, weather the storm of a hundred thousand dollar loss? Yeah. I, I think one of the the best decisions that I've made as an entrepreneur was narrowing down on one specific niche. And when, when I made the decision, I I literally told myself like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to commit five years of my life to just this one thing. And I I only want to do this one thing for the next five years. And it wasn't until I really started to go down this rabbit hole that I started to identify other places where I I needed support of that main goal of building my short-term rental business. So design was a critical part of building out our short-term rentals. And we then we recognized, okay, if we're doing this really well internally, can we offer this to other people? Uh, Cleaning. We literally just couldn't find good cleaners in Joshua Tree, so we built our own team. And once we had that team built and stabilized, then we said, well, hey, if we have these processes internally, can we give them out to other people? Property management. We had to build out and become really good at managing short-term rentals at scale. Okay, now we've got these systems. Can we can we pass that off to other people? So all of these kind of you know secondary, tertiary, subsidiary businesses only came because we were so laser focused on building our own thing first and getting really good at it. So for all of the rookies that are listening, don't try and do a thousand things at once to start with. Um, focus on getting really, really good at one thing. And then naturally you'll start to figure out where the other opportunities are. So look, I know this is supposed to be Ashley's, uh, you know, talk show moment where, where she's the, the host here, but I just want to give a few takeaways for we before I let you guys go. So first thing I'd say, um, uh, is to to make sure that you get all of your agreements in writing. Um, again, I, I think one of the mistakes we made was not getting a signed purchase agreement, was not collecting collecting an EMD when we found that first potential partner. And I think doing that up front could have alleviated some of these challenges that we ran into down the road. Uh, second, uh, a pre-approval from a buyer doesn't always mean they'll actually end up closing. Uh, the reason it's called a pre-approval and not a final approval is because there are steps in between that pre-approval and when they actually get funded from their lender. And things could definitely change in between the pre-approval and that final process. So um, just know that there's always some risk there. And uh, obviously, you want to try and do your best to to vet that person. But sometimes things come up that are that are out of your control and that buyer's control. 
Um, second, and this is a big one for us, is n- to not hold flips for too long, especially in in a time where the economy is shifting and moving as fast as it is right now. The the the, the quicker you can be at getting in and out of a rehab property, the better. Um, and, and this isn't not just for flips, but even for your your burrs. If you're doing a, a, a burr property. And you underwrite with a certain ARV and the market shifts on you where you lose $150,000 on your ARV, your burr could be in, in trouble as well. So whether you're flipping, whether you're burring, reducing the amount of time you spend in one single property is going to help you tremendously. Um, and then as a kind of add on to that one is working at the capacity of your crew. Um, you know, I think part of the reason why this one took so long is because we we had our, our team working above their capacity. So they were kind of jumping from project to project as opposed to being able to focus just on one. Um, and again, I, I think that there's value sometimes in working in smaller batches, but just more frequently than in bigger batches to take a long time. So be uh, be focused on on your crew and what they're what they're actually able to to do. And then two more points here. Uh, appraisals are subjective um, and you, you don't always have control over what that opinion of value is. So as much as you want to research the market and look for comps and do things like that, there's always still the opportunity or the possibility that the appraiser walks in there and, and they want to be conservative to kind of cover their own butts. Because remember, the, the appraisers, they get paid regardless of what happens after the appraisal is done. Um, so they they have no incentive to uh, to make sure that you're that your appraised value is close to what it is uh, under contract for. They just want to make sure that they're uh, protecting themselves and, and giving what they feel is the, the safest value of opinion. And like Ash said, you can always try and go back and challenge, but just know that appraisers um, are are working subjectively and kind of with the primary focus of protecting themselves from a, a liability standpoint. Um, and then last, just to be patient. You know, it, it, there were some scary moments, I think, going through this, especially when we realized how much money we were going to potentially lose here. Um, but losing is part of, uh, growing. And uh, I think every successful real estate investor I know has had some failures along the way and have made them better investors because of that. And my hope is that I can take this failure, this loss and turn it into a hundred thousand dollar lesson on uh, how to be a better rehabber. So just a few takeaways. I, I hope you guys get some value from uh, hearing my my sorrow and seeing these tears fall down my cheeks. And um, you know, when the, when the next bad flip happens, you guys will be the first one to know. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's Rookie Reply. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back on Wednesday with a guest. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals.
get an agent, get the deal and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.